So I think, um, you know, part of my barrier for taking action or doing other things was trying to game plan around these these ideas that weren't really mapped in reality. 100% consensus across the board without a successful program to show to date or a proof of concept, that's pretty much impossible, right? So how do you start with people that um, have shown implicit interests, uh, departments or people in the organization that are good culture carriers that want to do this work, that want to work with you and partner with you and be part of this journey? I would say that that's step one is identifying who those advocates are going to be. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All Inclusive podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Rod McLeod, Vice President of Social Impact at Braze. In this episode, we delve into the crucial diversity, equity and inclusion challenges that organisations are facing and explore the ways organisations can align social impact with their DEI strategies. Rod also provides insights into the measures his company is implementing to ensure their DEI initiatives are sustainable and have a lasting impact. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell and follow on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi Rod, thanks so much for joining me. Hey Natasha, thanks for having me. Oh no, it's going to be, I'm so excited for this conversation, it's going to be a great one I feel. Um, so why not kick things off, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your journey to where you are today. Yep. Uh, my name is Rod McLeod. I am the Vice President of Social Impact at Braze. Uh, and in terms of my background and my story, uh, my background is actually in marketing and communications. So I've been doing communications for about 12 years. Uh, I've done it at arguably four different organizations, uh, the Japanese consulate, a tech PR agency, Thick, which at one point was a very popular chat app, and more, most recently Braze. And I've been at Braze for about four years. Um, I joined to build out the communications function and team. And through working on a bunch of different side initiatives, such as trying to create a corporate social responsibility program here at Braze, um, ended up working on recommending that we build a social impact department that includes corporate social responsibility. Um, Braze also decided to commit 1% of equity to charitable causes over the next 10 years, including that, and also diversity, equity, and inclusion. And um, workshop that with one other person on the people team uh, worked with the ceo on that as well and once we had things um in a good way uh the ceo actually asked me if i was interested in building out this department which was completely unexpected um but it was an interesting opportunity and about a year ago i decided to make the switch um i've never done these things professionally uh, which is probably about half of the people in this space so far um, so it's been an interesting and very humbling journey uh, over the past year or so. A lot of positives, um, you know, some failures as well. But all the, but I also think that you learn the most from your failures. Um, so I've been able to learn a ton over the past year. Yeah, no, totally. I, I completely agree with that. I think um, sometimes you've got a fall to know how best to pick yourself back up. Um, and mm -hmm. there's definitely, you see how much strength you've got and resilience you you, you kind of have. Um, when you go through those failures and, and there's a lot of lessons learned which we can definitely dive into a little bit more in the conversation today so um with with all of that that, that you've kind of entered into it's about about a year or so into the role that you're in now why why did you decide to take the leap what what kind of what was the catalyst for you yeah uh, i thought a lot about this and i would say that there's probably two main things um one, everyone that's involved in this work, specifically DEI work, uh, does so from personal or lived experience. Um, 
you know, my identities, I'm a cisgender male, I'm also of Asian descent, I'm also American. And so that's a very specific identity. And so I think dealing with different different things of your past, experiencing racism, being excluded from different opportunities based on how you look, uh, where you come from, right? Um, that's factored into the importance I place on this work. Um, and then I would say the other part was, uh, you know, my personal George Floyd moment. So um, for me, uh, it was more of taking a step back when George Floyd was murdered, realizing that the, the experiences and the issues specific to racism or just systemic racism uh, that I experienced 15 to 20 years ago still existed today, and there wasn't a lot of progress made in that. Um, and at the point, I was I was senior at the company, and so I decided to raise my hand for some different initiatives, such as our DEI task force, to try to push these initiatives forward. Um, and I think a lot of that has been interesting, and a lot of the pushback that you hear in the space, uh, Google, Facebook, they've invested hundreds of millions of dollars. They can't solve this problem, therefore no one else can. Um, you know, I really think that's BS. Um, and so it was really an, an interesting opportunity career-wise, but also, um, you know, it was throwing my hat in the ring and saying that I don't think that because Google and Facebook can make progress in this space, that doesn't mean it's an impossible problem. Um, and I wanted to take a chance at, at trying to, to do better. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I think what many people forget is that it's not it's not a sprint like it's there isn't a golden ticket that <laughs> we or a code that needs to be cracked for for everything to completely change like I mean if that was the case I think the world would be a better place a long time ago um I think it it takes collective thinking it takes everybody really pitching in and and digging deep um in order to really move the needle um and it's going to take time, I think. I, I, I agree. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that you put your hat in the ring. <laughs> um, so in doing so, what do you see is the most pressing DEI challenge that we're facing and organizations are facing at the moment? Yeah. Um, and just going back to your comment on it will take time. Um, any DEI practitioner, consultant, and house will say that DEI is a journey uh, and it depends on where you are at you are at on that journey and most people are at the beginning of that journey right um and so in terms of the the challenges facing organization today i would say that there's three to four that i would like to highlight um specifically based on my experience over the past years trying to work and build these programs um i would say one um you know there's a general reluctance to try and fail or try new things uh, people want programs to be successful this is how business is done, this is how companies succeed. And so in order to have a low, like a higher risk profile for some of these programs not to work, um, you know, that's one of the issues. And people need to understand that, you know, you need to make mistakes in order to make progress specifically in this space. Um, another one that I would highlight is the sense that DEI and um, diversity in general is a zero sum game. So it means either you or me, it's not just growing the pie together. And so putting this in the perspective of Braze, uh, I've been here almost four years. The company, when I started, was 350 employees. Now we're 100 and, or sorry, 1,500 employees. So um, that concept of a zero-sum game doesn't really work in high-growth tech and other companies and industries that are expanding, right? It's not the you or me. It's the together part of that that people also need to understand. Right. Um, another notion of uh, diverse talent being less than other than equal and just not having the right opportunities. That's a definite mind shift that people need to think inward, right? Of how you think about these things. Um, and then lastly, this whole notion of action. 
So if we think about things in kind of a three, three step process, just because the rules of threes, everyone likes three things easy to remember. Um, I would say for DEI, there's, there's a concept of acknowledging, discussing, and then acting. And I would say the George Floyd moment was really when everyone acknowledged that there was an issue and that there were these issues. Um, we're kind of in the discussion stage, but at the same time, you eventually need to move into action. Otherwise, things are going to stay the same, right? We could discuss this all day, but if people don't act against this, both from changing their processes, their systems, how they think, um, there's not going to be a lot of progress in this space. Oh, I love those three sets. That's that's great. I'm I'm very much a, a rule of three person as well. Um, sometimes when it's got when we're looking at 10, 11, 12 steps, I'm just like, oh no. <laughs> No, 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 that's too many. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm already out. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think um, I hadn't really looked at it, breaking it down into those three steps. But yeah, definitely. I think sometimes we do um, sit in that discussion stage a little bit too long. And I think an element of the reasoning for that is is fear. Um, and as you said, sometimes it's you just want, and, and one of the points that you also said as well is that it's the fear of, of failure and the fear of of doing something new doing something different and i really think that if we get over that we can really start putting some some real action and and putting action into those words that we're saying that we what we want to achieve and, and the goals that we've got for dei um so what how do you how are you at braze in engaging with your different stakeholders because you've gone from 350 to 1500 so that's quite a big jump so how do you within your organization still keep um on the same page with with everybody that's coming in and that's new um and get everyone engaged in in your dei initiatives yeah uh so i'll share um a good lesson from from our ceo that we had so i actually the ceo of braze is my manager and so in, in workshopping with him, and the reason why that is, is because if you think about initiatives that fall under social impact, including DEI, it's important that those go directly to the CEO and um, that person has a seat at the table. So um, last year when we started kind of road mapping out different strategies, how these would work, uh, trying to hire a consultant, um, we tried to, I was trying to game plan with them about how we make this successful, how we get people bought in um, before these initiatives launched, because I didn't want to start it or engage with a consultant if that was going to stop in three months because someone didn't agree with it. Um, his perspective was pretty interesting where he, like my assumption was we needed all 14 departments at the time to say, yes, this is an important business initiative. Uh, in reality, that that's not going to happen. There's competing business initiatives. That's not saying that this is not important work. But his approach was you just need enough to show proof of concept. And once people see that your process, your updated process that is inclusive by nature is better than what already exists, other departments are going to proactively come out to you and say, hey, I want to do that too. So I think, um, you know, part of my barrier for taking action or doing other things was trying to game plan around these, these ideas that weren't really mapped in reality. 100% consensus across the board without a successful program to show to date or a proof of concept that's pretty much impossible, right? So how do you start with people that um, have shown implicit interests, uh, departments or people in the organization that are good culture carriers that want to do this work, that want to work with you and partner with you and be part of this journey? I would say that that's step one is identifying who those advocates are going to be. Um, and then I would say mapping this out to the rest of the organization, um, we do take an inclusion first approach to DEI, which means that we are trying to design DEI into the business process. Um, we could talk about this in a bit, uh, but this is also the right approach. It has the longest uh, potential for impact, but it's also the hardest approach after trying to do this for about a year. 
So yeah, um, no. <laughs> integration yeah. to all aspects of the business is is always going to be a difficult task. But yeah, no, I agree. It is the right way forward. Yep, yep. Um, and so I think part of it is you do need a strong relationship with your people or HR function. If you think about all the processes that need to be updated, uh, the four that we're focusing on over the next couple of years are inclusive hiring, um, internal career pathing, manager training, or just management development in general, and also pay equity. And so those are four business processes that we get right, make us an inclusive organization. Um, the people team owns all four of those. So you need a strong relationship. You need strong collaboration with those folks. And then uh, you need to have that in place before you, you reach out and you engage other employees. The employee engagement piece is, is, is kind of an interesting conclusion or outcome that's come after year one of, We've been building a lot of foundations. We've been looking and figuring out what foundations don't exist, um, which happens with a lot of this work. And employees, you know, they're asking questions, they want to engage. Um, but a big part of this work is taking employees along for the ride, right? Whether it's action, just keeping them updated, or getting them involved in some other ways. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious to know, as you said, you've got to kind of bring HR um into it your people uh, into into this work and and get them all alongside as allies and advocates um for you for at braze did you face any any barriers in trying to bring those people on board uh yeah i would say um i probably could have been better with my approach but if you think about it just from a psychological behavior point of view anytime you say hey your process is not inclusive the reaction by nature is going to be defensive and so it's making sure those folks are involved from the beginning, uh, something that we're trying to get better at this year as a department, making sure that we're working together in partnership, that they understand this. Because at the end of the day, if we design inclusion into, let's say, recruiting, for example, um, that's a process that the talent acquisition team is going to own and continue to execute against. It's not going to be our team that does that. So um, the people that need to be bought in uh, need to be brought along the whole journey because they're also people that need to advocate on your behalf and the, the work that you are doing there. Mm, yeah, that makes total sense. So what strategies do you plan to implement to um, ensure that your DEI efforts are sustainable? I think you probably kind of touched on it a little bit a second ago, but yeah, I would love to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's it's the inclusion first approach. Um, and so I mentioned the four business processes, uh, inclusive hiring, um, internal career pathing, manager development, and then also pay equity. Those are the four business processes that we're focused on over the next couple of years, just trying to make sure that these are right. Um, and if you think about two other ways, one is employee engagement. So the more that you could connect employees to this program, the more it becomes a reason that employees want to come and work for your company. And a lot of the programs that we own for social impact are rooted in that. A lot of studies, millennials, Gen Zs, they want to work with companies that make a difference, that have strong values that do well in, in initiatives and programs such as diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and so those employees need to feel or touch those programs in different ways just to feel part of the journey and part of the difference that they're making both at Braze but also in society. Um, I would say the, the other part of this, which I found is very uncommon, is, um, you know, I'd say that the way that we structured this program, so DEI is one of four social impact programs, um, our equity pledge, corporate social responsibility, which is namely product grants and volunteering, and lastly, sustainability and ESG reporting and DEI. Um, it actually helps our initiatives just because a lot of the time DEI work takes many months or years to get right. 
And so if you think about the other initiatives that you're doing in terms of donating money to charities, standing up new product grant programs, um, it helps you buy a little bit of air cover or goodwill to show action and progress that you are making as a department while you still continue to work on these very much longer term initiatives. And so I would say DEI in isolation of, of not being included in a department that's like that, um, you lose out on you know, momentum, um, you lose out on consensus building and, and employee engagement, but also, um, yeah, it, it, it's an important part to connect these programs together. The one example I'll give you is the one product brand program we have is called Tech for Black Founders. And so this was also stood up in response to the murder of George Floyd. Uh, it really looked at one stat. Um, VC funding to Black founders was only 1% back in 2020. Right now, that's 1.2% as of last summer. And so our initiative, since we are a marketing technology, is really give brace to earlier stage companies, Black-founded businesses, less than 30 million raised, less than 100 employees. And with our technology, you could potentially change your growth trajectory and have a better chance at raising funding and becoming a more sustainable business. This is one of the reasons why DEI is part of social impact, because, you know, at the end of the day, Tech for Black Founders is a product grant program that sits under corporate social responsibility, but it also has specific goals tied to DEI just as part of its nature. And so the more that you could combine initiatives like this, the deeper impact you have, the more initiatives you could do. So I would say that um, it is a benefit for us that DEI does sit under social impact, but it was interesting coming into the space and meeting other people at different companies. Uh, where these programs, departments, teams are not set up very similarly. And we're one of the the very few that owns DEI under social impact. Yeah. Oh, I think in using the example that you use, it just makes total sense though, doesn't it? Like, I mean, you're all kind of striving for the same sort of goal. You're, you're all wanting to to create a, create space for people that there isn't much space for or there hasn't always been much space for so if you know that you have the tools to be able to amplify their position um then why not steer towards that it helps like you said like your corporate social impact it helps your your, your DEI initiatives is that they're the same goal is we want to help underrepresented groups thrive um so yeah like it, it's 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 interesting that you mentioned that it's not necessarily something that other organizations have. That's the, the setup that they have. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think part of it is if you think about DEI as a function, it's still pretty nascent and new, I would say. And corporate social responsibility has started to morph into more social impact related initiatives. It's, it's just kind of nomenclature at this point. Um, I would say part of it is because DEI is considered a people team issue just because they own the processes, but it, in order for DEI to be accept, successful, it needs to be an all company initiative, um, which is part of the challenge of trying to influence an organization and build programs that everyone can touch. Mm. What role do you think data plays in DEI efforts? Uh, so I'd say data is really important. And so it's been um, a foundational focus for us since day one. Um, the reason why that is, is in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, Braze, like many other companies, stood up a DEI task force, not having a specific function to it. And a lot of the initiatives that we try to push forward or questions that we try to ask to understand more, um, one, there either wasn't data available, we didn't have benchmarks available, therefore we couldn't progress or move forward with any of these programs. And so if you think about a lot of the DEI work, you have to remove barriers or reasons why people say no, with data being one of the first and foremost ones of, oh, we don't have the data, therefore we can't do that. And so the foundation that we're trying to lay specifically here is 
making data available to a broader set of people, not just us, not just the people team, um, but different department leaders, different department um, employees, uh, where people have access to this data, they could then, you know, put this in team meetings, monthly all hands, um, and actually action against it versus just us holding the clipboard. So I think, one, it's very foundational. Two, we're trying to take an approach with data where everyone had like a specific group of people or more people have access to it. And three, we're using it for help with prioritization and also just direction. Mm, okay. And I know because for me, from from speaking to other organizations, it's it's difficult when it comes to the data. It's sometimes you're having to pull from about six, seven different software systems. Like the talent acquisitions team have one software that they use. You've got HR that uses another so in order to pull all of that together, it can be very time consuming. So for what from what you're saying is that you are working on having a system which everyone can pretty much go into and access um, and pull information from. Yeah, that's right. And we also face some of the similar challenges. Uh, the two HRS systems that we've had since I've been here, Bamboo HR and also Workday. And so working through these challenges, the issues are the inputs that Bamboo has are not uh, one-to-one matches with Workday. And so mm-hmm. you have to resolve a lot of these things. Um, a lot of folks don't realize this takes a ton of time to resolve and put in the right way. You also deal with different privacy challenges of like who has access, who doesn't, how do you resolve these things just because it's a lot of sensitive uh, data and information. So, so far in your journey um, with that, what's what have you found has been the, the most effective tool or resource in order to be able to achieve what you wish to achieve with the data that you've got? Yeah, um, so we're using a tool called Dandy right now, which is DEI analytics. And so um, Dandy was the fastest way that we could get started um, and get data in people's hands versus doing an internal build with like a Looker dashboard or Tableau, for example. And so it was out of the box. It had a lot of interesting templates that we already had. And the team being a smaller startup at this point is actually advantageous to us because they're good at listening to feedback, making adjustments on the product and the product roadmap. Um, so this has been a strong tool for us that we're trying to operationalize in a way and connect to different programs like the inclusive hiring process as well. Yeah. Oh, great. It, it, it's good to hear. So, um, just before you leave us, I'm, I'm sad to, for you that this conversation is going to end now because <laughs> I think you've given us some really great things to think about, um, and some lovely advice and tips. So just before you do go, what advice would you give? Just one piece of advice would you give to DEI leaders that are currently on the start of their DEI journey? Um, So I would say you need to have patience and you also need to have strong resolve and confidence that you are doing the right thing. Um, There's going to be a lot of, there's going to be high highs, but probably more low lows in, in year one, year two of just, you know, not being successful, failing at certain things, not having the reaction that you want working with different people. Um, and so it takes people that can have resilience to be successful uh, working on these initiatives, um, people that can be empathetic, people that can be patient. Um, and it's also, at the end of the day, a hard job that will be emotionally exhausting at certain t- points in time. So um, that that's a lot. That's more than one. But I would say you just you need to have a strong resolve that you're doing the right thing and that that needs to be consistent throughout your journey. Um, otherwise, I don't think, yeah, it's going to be a, a very tough job. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I think that's great advice. And um, what do you, is there a particular technique or or something that you, steps that you take to really kind of ground yourself and, and protect your own sort of emotional and mental well-being with doing this work? 
Uh, to be honest with you, I haven't had a good answer for this personally, and the people in the space uh, that I've I've chatted with, networked with, tried to form relationships with, there's not a consistent good answer. I would say finding other peers, other mentors in the space so that they could understand your challenges. Uh, you can share those challenges, even if it's just meant to vent. Um, even that is positive, but finding your tribe of people that know the hardships that you're going through um, is just good from a support perspective and also just good to know that you know you're not going crazy over the wrong things yeah yeah no totally and I don't think and in asking that question as well Rod, I just want to make it clear like I don't think that I you've got the right like you've got the right answer it's it's definitely from your own personal journey so far it's and I think it's I see it and for me personally my protecting my well-being and mental health it's it's a constant transition of different things like one one month I'm like yeah I think this is working next one I'm like no this is not working I need to do something else um so yeah I think it's again it's a continuous journey isn't it um and and finding what works for you but I think having people around you is is definitely great advice I, I definitely think having people that know and can relate to what you're going through yeah um and I'm guessing you've asked this question to other folks on your podcast too. What are like the top three that you've heard of this? Just curious. Yeah, no. So from the top three, I would say is what you've just said, which is networking. So having people and, and, and individuals, but also an element to that is actually having people that don't necessarily do the work that you do, but kind of close friends that you can just simply, just simply vent to. They don't necessarily need to know what you're doing, but actually having a mix um, of, of people some say reading and actually just taking five minutes and just doing an activity that you really love that isn't directly connected with with the work that you're doing um which for yeah. some people can be a little bit tricky because <laughs> they do this work because it's it's aligned with with their passions and purpose and and, and what um how they live their lives on a day-to-day -day. but yeah it's it's really that, that's those are the two I would say um and the third one is having putting everything in your calendar. That was one step one leader said, <laughs> which I thought was crazy. I was like, what? She was like, yes, I put everything on my calendar. So if I'm going to get a nail appointment, if I'm going to get my hair done, if I've got a, a school meeting um, for like a review for, for her kids, like she puts everything down. Um, so she knows that she doesn't overshadow certain things if that makes sense. So if she can yeah. see in her calendar, right, I've got to go and do the school run or I've got something for my kids that I need to attend, she ensures that that time is definitely blocked out and there's nothing that's going to kind of overshadow on top of that, um, which I thought was a really good thing. But I don't, I'm, I'm still not there yet. <laughs> I'm still not there yet. But yeah, those are the three, um, those are the three things that I think most cropped up the most. <laughs> Okay, no, that's super helpful. <laughs> um, so again, Rod, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Uh, how can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, um, so I'd say I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, I've started to use Twitter a little bit less in this role than versus in communications. So uh, my link, my Twitter handle is MassRod, M-A-S-R-O-D. Um, but yeah, either of those two avenues, uh, feel free to reach out, ask questions, message me and connect. I will be putting a link to your uh, LinkedIn and um, Twitter handles for anyone who wants to connect with you. They can reach out to you. Um, again, once again, Rod, thanks so much for joining me today. And I wish you all the best in the future with Braze. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.